0: Vito Colucci was an undercover drug investigator who, like Billy Chase, was undercover inside drug organizations and the mafia in Connecticut. He rubbed elbows with the same corrupt cops, politicians, and gangsters that Billy Chase was bringing down. Vito decided to go after the systemic corruption inside Connecticut police departments who had been infiltrated by the Gambino crime family. His investigations uncovered wrongdoing in eight city departments, that included a police sergeant running the largest drug ring in Southern Connecticut.
1: I was a police officer in Stamford, Connecticut, and I was working. I was on a squad there that was uh, one of the premier squads. We handled uh, narcotics and we handled organized crime, and it was really a a top-notch squad, and everybody wanted to be on it. So I got on that. And we started to work, and uh, we were realizing that we weren't making the big bust, okay? I mean, even though we're sitting in, in um, big cars and everything, hiding different with vans, and we got all the stuff, and um, we weren't, weren't come time to uh, do the house on a Friday night. we tell our boss, lieutenant, our sergeant, say, hey, look, they're happy for the weekend. You know, now's the time to get them. All right, fine, just uh, what time you want to go and do it, fine. Go get the judge to sign the papers and blah, blah, blah. Never knowing that my, my boss was the kingpin, my lieutenant, was the kingpin of all of this stuff. So it was a combination, Don, of places. All right, and what I mean by that, it was, you know, both um, in Stanford, there was stuff in Norwalk, and, and stuff in Bridgeport. Uh, see what what these these guys like to do is they they try to find out like which places don't have back then don't don't have tie ins with these cities. Okay, what were they used to say all the time, Hey, let me know when the State's in town. Now I'm not gonna let you know when the state's in town. Man, get off those drugs. And that was the main thing they were concerned about all the time. Let me know when the state's in town. So I I worked there, so I knew that wherever it was heavy, and then um, we, we would be able to pop them. But still, whether it was Bridgeport or Stanford, every time it came to where we served a warrant, they would open the door, come on in, folks, that type of a thing, until the day came by when we arrested a low-level drug usher by the name of Arville Chapman, who worked for my lieutenant and, and my sergeant. He was the man that actually went to New York and brought him back to uh, the, my sergeant's apartment. And they he cut up the drugs with everybody and everything. So he basically said to us, which turned everything around, Bridgeport and Stanford, he says he, he had a, some big cases coming up. He said, look, if I give you something really big, will you talk to the prosecutor for me? I said, Arville, you better be something big. So we pulled over into a... A company called Pitney Bowes we wound up being there from midnight to 8 in the morning as he described all the drug activities that were going on and from there we went on and that's what we did Bridgeport was um, really more of the drugs okay Uh, Stanford at that time totally corrupt totally corrupt I wrote the book about it there but they were doing uh, more of the um, gambling gambling, and everything of that nature.
0: 15 city and state officials resigned or were fired. What happened in Connecticut reverberated far beyond the city and the state, and it served as the catalyst for Ronald Reagan's initiative against the American Mafia and the establishment of the President's Commission on Organized Crime. Here's Vito.
1: Like, like this says here, in, in a book book that I wrote. When organized crime controls the police department, they control the entire city. That was Henry Hill that wrote that. So that's pretty easy to do. I man. once you control that, once you have the cops, the cops that will work it for you and do all this stuff, uh, and here's what would go on in Bridgeport and, and, and Stanford. So you need to realize, Fortune 500 companies were in three major cities back then, New York, Chicago and Stanford slash Bridgeport, Connecticut, okay? When I say that to people, they go, what? Fortunately, yeah, they had all the companies moving in. General Ray, uh, Gen, uh, you know, all these companies are coming in to to the Connecticut area. And so what would happen would be the um, the guy, the contractor, would really want to get the contract. He would want to, on, on these places. So the um, organized crime people would say to him all right look i'll call you the day before bidding ends tell me the lowest score and i'll come in a million or five hundred thousand under it and that's what happened whether it was bridgeport or stanford they'd come in and it was a monopoly like that and little by little it grew chief of police didn't do anything about it uh the the mayor didn't do anything about it. So when you have free reign like that, when you don't have to worry about anybody, you have free reign. Okay? And the people involved, there was a whole bunch of people. As we got into the, the 80s, there was Tony McGow. Tony McGow. Uh, some people, American people call him McGally, uh We call him McGow. And uh, a lot of people. We, we had to- total people that was doing stuff around and, uh, you know, there was John DePoli, they called him Stoogey. He was a made man out of Stanford and Bridgeport. He would give you your jobs, okay? What I mean by that, if you were up for the sergeant post, okay, if you were up to get your, uh, be promoted to sergeant, and there'd be three candidates, one, two, and three. And even though your guy, the, the honest good guy was number one on that, if he wanted to put in number three, because that was his buddies and pals. He'd skip over those two and got, get number three and put the sergeant bag on them. And who can complain? The, the rank and file knew what was going on. They would say to me, Vito, I know you're back in uniform. We know why you're back in uniform, because you disrupted the apple cart. But, man, look at that. Look what happened. They jumped over one and two. They jumped over the guys, the guys with all the decorations or other great arrests and they pulled in that guy there who was a cousin of one of the uh, builders you see so that that's what happened these people there's so many people back then uh that was involved in some might
0: define connecticut as a sleepy commuter suburb its proximity to new york city especially in southeastern connecticut allowed the new york mafia families to have satellite offices per se and in cities like Stanford and Bridgeport, they could infiltrate almost every industry. So major mafia players have always populated Connecticut in more ways than one.
1: Even even in, in um, um, what's his name's uh, book book here, Lenny, he talks about those those people too. They're all through here. You had uh, uh, Carmine uh, Galante. You had all these different people that had so much pull and a, a guy like billy chase comes in and disrupts the whole apple cart and that was you know that was bad for them man that's bad business same thing with me same thing with me the guy uh, anthony dolan who was a cub reporter back then for the stanford and, and the the York papers and everything of that nature somebody gave them information about just one thing in town like um, somebody to take care of the properties for the city and everything like that. He did that. He found out it was corrupt. The guy didn't have a college education, which was on the list of of, uh, things needed. Uh, Horticulturist, horticulture degree, he didn't have that. He barely had a high school degree. So that made him, he made that a front page article. He went on then to write 75 articles in the newspaper, mostly about the stuff I was going through as well as many other people, the the arsons, the this and that, and the whole bit. He went on to win a Pulitzer. Imagine that. He went on to win a Pulitzer for his writing, which was amazing. And, he, and Ronald Reagan, see, this this all mushroom. It, it, fine, it was a little town type of a thing. But what happened is uh, he did these articles, wins the Pulitzer. He gets a phone call from Ronald Reagan, who happens to be running for president. And I, I guess that was 1980. He wants to meet with him because he read an article in Rolling Stone magazine about Anthony Dolan. He goes. He's becomes the chief speech writer. And little by little, this thing has built, had built up. And, you know, tell you the truth, it's it's back again. It's back again. Amazing. People have short memories. It's a very corrupt area again. And uh, be it Mowoc or, or Stanford, I'm not working at that's for sure. I'm not hired, and I don't know you know, if I would even want to get involved again, which I can't even say that. I would not want to get involved again. I had death threats. I had five little kids at that time. Uh, Front-page pa- paper as far as death threats and all of that stuff. Um, so, you know, a lot of things. I've, I've been very uh, blessed in my life to, to, to go through everything. Working narcotics, I was in a shootout. Uh, Me and my partner were two other guys. One guy lay dead, one went wounded. There was about 30, almost 30 shots shot us. I walked away from that without a bullet hole. I worked undercover organized crime in those cities and, uh, you know, against the biggest people. But see, here's the key, if I could just say this. The reason my case is different was because usually when somebody goes undercover, they get a new name, they get all the, all the stuff, the licenses, everything else, and go to some place, at least a couple hours away and they work it there. I didn't, okay? What happened with mine, the new chief came in, start clearing the house, okay? And he called me in the office, he says, you want to go undercover? I said, undercover? Who, who undercover where? He said, no, right here in Stanford. I said, Stanford, oh, well, you know, uh, Bridgeport. I said, how am I going to do that? <laughs> and he said, no, you go undercover as a disgruntled ex-cop that was not allowed to arrest these top people. And he went on. So that's how I went out as a disgruntled ex-cop. And what happened was I was able to go to all the clubhouses and everything else because they had more of a hatred to my bosses than they, they did for me. And they wanted to pump me for information about Larry Hogan and all things of that nature. And, uh, you know, it, it was amazing how it worked out. But it was a totally, a totally backwards type of thing to do, but it worked out, you know? I'm sorry I'm rattling on, man. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm oh,
2: trying. no, I love I love that. I love that Um, because this is all the, the world that yeah. was... Which- you pick from on. it what
1: you you pick from it what what sure, you want. Yeah. I'm just trying to give you an and, overview.
2: No, no. And how many of the five families were operating inside of Connecticut, or was it a specific family that sort of controlled and ran Connecticut?
1: Well, for me, I infiltrated uh, both the Gambino and Genovese families. Sometimes these family may sound funny, but uh, interlapped. Okay, so my investigation was centered on those two families. Okay, some people from this family, some people from the other families. But, you know, we also, during that time, we had the Colombo-Lucchese family was there, too. Um, You know, so I didn't have anything to do with them. I mean, you can't do more. But, see, all these people, Stanford is a gorgeous, gorgeous city with the headquarters of all these places and yet the underling of organized crime was and still is partly still going on now there's corruption again in the city hall corruption here corruption there uh there's arson there's everything else like people call me vito why don't you take a look at that i said what are you calling me <laughs> that's years ago i'm not i'm not going out and doing this stuff again i said hey, that's up to, that's up to these people nowadays, and the new, the new regime, the new centurions, like I call them. It's up to them now to go out and, and take care of these people. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. The, when, when, uh, Anthony Dolan, uh, went to, um, Reagan to, to get the job, what happened then is the thing that changed this all around, was Reagan then, it, 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 was the, it was the catalyst for Reagan's initiative against the American mafia, and, and the establishment of the President's Commission on Organized Crime. Back then, he went, he went on all the major channels, two, three, four, five, seven, all the ones we had back then, and he put hundreds and hundreds of new prosecutors, hundreds and hundreds of new pro, uh, top guys, investigators, and that's how he kind of put a lid on this thing, finally. And I was just a part of this, that's all. I mean, I'm not saying that that was done just of me. There was me and a lot of other people uh, as well as as Anthony Dolan putting it out there. But it changed everything. It started the recall laws. It started all those things going on. And it changed Stanford, I thought, for good. But it didn't work out that way. uh, The next regime comes in, the mayor and everybody like that. My book comes out and everything's still the same. Everything's still the same. And the same is in Bridgeport, too. Trust me. They got a lock on Bridgeport. Lock on Bridgeport with all the, all the corruption going and, on.
2: And you were you aware of Billy Chase. You understand his story. In your own words, tell me what you think Billy Chase's story is. And then second to that, tell me, because I do look at it as a very tragic story. Tell me why it is so tragic.
1: Okay, why it's so tragic? Because here's a man... Okay, I'm going to compare it. I'm going to use side-by-side. Stanford had Duke Morris, a black guy. Tough guy, okay? When he got on the job, there was only two other black guys on the job who weren't street smart at all, okay? Uh, 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 What's his name? Uh, Billy Chase was street smart, of course. Duke Morris was street smart. So he gets on the job, okay? And what they did... Through all those decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, beginning of the 80s, they put them out. They say, all right, Duke, what you got to do tonight? Go into this place here. Go into this. We got information at this, uh, this liquor store and uh, this other places down the road. Go in, you know, and then once you see them doing something, have guys in, in backup cars outside, make a motion. And they'll come in. Hey, that's my uncle's place, he would say. That's my cousin's place. Ron, we don't care. Go on. They forced him to do these things. Okay? Uh, Billy Chase, when it was all over, and, you know, um, Lenny knows what happened on that. I mean, I I love that part. I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, you did all that stuff. That's great. But now, you know, we got no place for you. What do you mean you got no place for me? I put my life on the line, man. Let it be uh, Billy Chase. Last time I saw Duke Morris, he was hopping a train to get out of town to go down uh, down south to run two drug empires. And he said to me, Vito, you know, we've been at each other. I almost killed you that one day when you had your little daughter in the car. Uh, And he said, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. I could have been a great cop, but it was always go after this one, that one. That's my aunt. That's this one. That's my whole bit. So they tortured this man, and then they threw up their hands when it was all done. By that time, he was a hardcore junkie. He ran the whole narcotics thing all through Fairfield County. Okay, he handled that. You know, Billy Chase did a Billy Chase infiltrated an organized crime uh, group of people, of which that I knew some. And and they were going to they are going to make him a made man at this big place called the Italian Center, in Stanford, a big place, one of the best places around. And and some of the people were bringing Billy around to introduce him to to the people, and they were saying, and the people were saying, "Are you nuts? A black man is not going to come in our organization." But that's how good Billy Chase was that he could go into a place like that and get all these people and then you know even then what happened when everything started going and they're they're, you know on the roads firing at each other and doing this and doing that and that's when everything hit the fan but a lot of people went away they went away for a good five six years several of them and uh you know it was incredible and then what did they do after that he calls a friend he calls the the bridgeport police department and a friend friend picks up the phone, and he said, hey, where are you? I'm, I'm across the street from you. Across the street from you? Why aren't you? Come on, come over to my place. Nah, don't you think, man? I'm, I'm saying this, not in the exact words, but I'm, I'm saying this. Um, you know, he, he, he said, what do you mean? You can't come over and see me now? That's it. He said, well, you know, it's, it's better that, you know, I don't get n- messed up in this whole thing as well as you. That's what Billy Chase does.
0: This level of police corruption is staggering. It almost doesn't seem real. But in the 1980s, the police and the mobsters really had free reign in these much simpler times. Law enforcement was at a disadvantage in so many ways. And obviously, it was almost commonplace for police officials to be on the take to someone, or in this case, to powerful mafia
2: capos. So crack cocaine hits the inner cities of America around 85, 86, and sort of changes the dynamics of every American city in many ways, and also changes policing in America. When you look at that time, the time that Billy Chase was doing you know, <clears throat> these investigations, was the mafia involved large scale into the drug business because as you know there was always this oh, we try and stay away from drugs you know <laughs> wink wink nah nah um were they heavily involved in that and what what made billy what what did what ability did billy have to be able to navigate literally and this is pre-internet or pre-cell phones Right. Pretty sort of small communities in a way, like Bridgeport. Although it's a big city, eh, you know, if you grew up in Bridgeport, you kind of know people there.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, that's a that's a joke, Don, because we had. I, I got on the uh, I got on the narcotics squad in in seventy two of all times. Once it got to the late seventies, into the eighties, all through that era, we had heroin. Heroin was big and nobody was there saying, give them any peace. They let the people die. Heroin was big, man, massive stuff. We, we, we raided a house of two brothers, Smith brothers, and uh, as we were arresting him, we were going through the drawers, and we found maps, we found a, a plan, architects' plans for castles down south they were going to build for their mother and all of their family and everything like that big heroin dealers so to say and and everybody had their hand in that okay organized crime had their hand none of this stuff you see on the godfather where where they say no we don't go into that that's bad business we don't go into the baloney i worked it i saw it it didn't mean anything to people they didn't care who died We'd go, we'd go on a frozen night, zero degrees. Me and my partner go to some place, about somebody laying on the ground. We'd go and a needle still stuck in the frozen arm of a dead guy, sitting out in the lawn, laying out in the lawn, and uh, found out it was an organized crime family person. And uh, but you know, it's it's a lot of things, a lot of things. I wore a lot of hats back then. And believe me, I'm not saying this to brag because so did a lot of other people that did what I did, and even more than my, what I did. Billy Chase uh, was amazing, amazing, amazing man. What he did, and um, you know, he just showed, showed by the gang stuff and everything what he was capable of, what he could do. Okay, Duke Morris, the same thing. He knew the streets like the back of his hand. People were afraid of him. We'd arrest white and black kids. And they would say, you know, well, no, please don't let don't let Duke Morris find out. Duke Morris would shoot people and their legs and their kneecaps and everything like that if they weren't working for him. Everybody was working for Duke Morris back then. A sergeant on the police department. Imagine, he was that and he was crooked as the day is long.
0: Billy Chase's undercover work and talent was unprecedented. But the tragedy was that once he was done with that work, was treated like a second-class citizen. There was no thank you. There were no accommodations. There was no resources for mental health. There was no place for Billy Chase to exercise his demons. No transition back into being a normal citizen who didn't look over his shoulder every single day for the rest of his life.
2: You described at that time in the 80s how dangerous italian organized crime was
1: oh well you know you had guys like the, I, I said you had the, uh tony McGalley you had from people like that back then what they would do other guys too not just him they with the uh, with the computers then and everything else they would say no more taken no more taking bets or anything with pencil and pad no more you got top computer guy over here you just do it with him who do it. All he has to do is hit one button if they come in. And everything's gone. So <laughs> the funny part is big, 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 case, big case. About 12 people got popped. Okay. I, I did a little bit. I wasn't even on the job anymore. I just did a little bit and told the captain a couple of things. But they did the did stuff. But what happened is here, here to come and raid this place. All right. Uh, the guy hits the button. Everything goes off. But he got, uh, it wasn't so crazy, it's laughable. But the guy kept the backup of all his notes on the table, right in front of him, okay? And uh, that that was a joke when we went to court. I I, I said to uh, the guy, his name was Dean. He was running a lot of things back then and different things. And I said, man, you put him in charge of that? Who am I going to get? Who am I going to get? Tell me. So yeah, that that made a big difference. That made a big difference. Um, you know. Then they try to, of course. You know, the the biggest thing, Don, was the when you're sentenced and you're told if you're seen with anybody else from organized crime in any kind of connection at all, you're going back in. So there was one guy who, from Stanford, he had to go to New York see the bosses. He laid down on the back floor. Of the car in the garage covered with blankets a whole bit uh, but they had an informant and he went right back into jail so they have a lot of things now to do it but it's still the thuggery it's still the come out break your arms type of a thing you see but they're, no they're using they're, they're trying to do the sophisticated things but guess what so is the law the law gets better things than what they get so it's, they got to stay one step ahead of them Everything that's new this year as far as, uh, you know, uh, computers and all kinds of different things to monitor people has changed. When my partner would go to New York for the conventions every year to see the new products in the uh, security world, it would change from one year to the other, all more sophisticated than the previous year. And that's the stuff they use. They have the millions to do this on it. But uh, I, you know, let me, let me tell you this. I, I had a chance for several days to work with Henry Hill, okay? Henry Hill, to speak with him at places. Henry, uh, I got to know him. Uh, he, he got rid of the devil of, of, of drugs, but he couldn't shake the alcohol, okay? So I did stuff with him, and uh, he just, I, I just learned from him. He would go to Quantico to help the, uh, help the FBI, learn tricks and things, different things about what was going on. So things of that nature, but you know, he knew he would tell people, man, this is a die. Dy- you, you're going to go to jail or you're going to die. I know you've heard that a lot of times, but that's what happens. Very few people get away with anything on this stuff. And so that's, that's what happened with, with him. He wound up dying from the alcohol. He just couldn't contain that. So, um, you know, when you
2: hear when you hear or is brought up the name Billy Chase or parts of his story, where where does your brain go to first when you hear the name Billy Chase? What what does he define for you about that particular era of time?
1: It, um,
2: in that time,
1: and before he flipped out at the end, a hero. A hero that should have been maybe pensioned off at that time and everything else. Give him his pension, which he probably got for a time, I, I would imagine. But give him treating the way he, he did all the Stanford, he did all the Bridgeport for He man. He, he, uh, he bled in. To go into an organized crime setting with all of those guys and walk away where they got their arm around you is amazing work. Nobody can do that stuff. <laughs> I did nice stuff, but he did great stuff. Okay, let's, let's get that all that all set. One of the premier undercover agents I've ever seen, and everything. Even though I never had the opportunity to meet him or enjoy him back in the days when uh, you know he was a hero, but you know, thank God that that um, Benny brought it to light. And he did a great job on it and just got to know, wow, this man did this. He did that and the whole bit. You know, that's what I would say. Hey, Vito, man, did you ever hear about that guy, Billy Chase? Oh, yeah. What do you think of him, man? He flipped out, huh? Oh, man, that was horrible. Yeah, he was a hero. A hero? Heroes don't do those things, Vito. Yes, they do until they get pressurized and they got nothing else to do in their life. And they don't know what they're doing. He was great. It was great, absolutely great.